Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Good evening and welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I'm Krista Bontrager and this is the episode of All the Things where we've had no sound check. So we're None. Gonna... Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but this is also the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. I always, it's been two years. We are going on show number 100, and I still can't say that. Do you want to try it again? This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. There it is. Yes. And helping us on the show tonight and making last minute audio adjustments is. The one and only Bob Bontrager. There he is. Hello, Mr. Nice Wonderful. To be here. Thank you. There's <laughs> somebody on on the board peering behind you. All right, and we are live tonight, and so we want to encourage you to join us in the chat box. Uh, YouTube is the best. Uh, we do try to field on our Facebook streams too, but uh, Facebook's a little clunky in their commenting interface, so. YouTube is always the best place to add your voice to our conversation. And I want to give a shout out to our moderators tonight, the lovely and gracious Alicia Moss and Laura Hartley. Yes, they are both lovely and gracious. That's right. Just saying, yes, yes, they are. Yes, and we have the family checking in on YouTube. We have Auntie Linda here. We have Tracy, Andre, Susanna. Girl on foot. Candy's here. Um, Alyssa's here. What's up, everybody? Oh, Veronica's here. Looking um, forward to uh, yeah the conversation. Gretna, Virginia. Okay. All right. Lots of East Coast people tonight. Yes, I have Dana and Debbie and Josie on Facebook. Ginger. Awesome. Yes, Knoxville, Tennessee. Ooh. Yes. Awesome. Trudy's here. Thanks, guys, for being with us. We're looking forward to tonight's show. Yes. But before we get into tonight's show, we want to remind you of a couple things. Yeah. Yeah. What's the first thing we want to remind you? All right. Well, this is the audience participation part. Yes. Is make sure to hit that thumbs up, hit the like button, and make sure that you are subscribed. If you're on YouTube, make sure that you hit the notifications bell and make sure YouTube hasn't done any shenanigans and... Uh, unsubscribed you because they unsubscribed Monique from her own channel recently. That is true. <laughs> so, I didn't know it was a thing. Sometimes they like to help you make up your mind. So even if you've subscribed before, it's always good to check periodically and um, share the show with your friends. Share it on out on your social media feed or private message a few people and share the show because you know what? That is how people usually find us is through sharing of our content and we hear that so often. We were on a call today and it, a new gal was on the call and she said, I found you because my friend shared one of your videos okay. on, on her on her feed. And so the, that is really how you're going to help us overcome the bots and the analytics that even though we have 14,000 followers on each of our platforms, Facebook only <laughs> pushes us out to 200 people. There so. it is. <laughs> There it is. All right. And this show is brought to you by Family 210 Clothing. Our design of the week is Greater Things. I like that it, design. It's 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 a riff on I was going to say I don't but I don't know what it's a riff from. Uh, Stranger <laughs> Things is a show. 
Okay, there we yeah. go. I don't really watch TV, folks. I know. So you can go to family210.com and look up our other designs and help support our family and the ministry by making a purchase there. The show is also brought to you by the Theology Mom podcast, which I did a new uh, stream this week. You can go check that out in the archives and the Center for Biblical Unity. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, so what's happening? So this week or tomorrow is actually the last day to register for book clubs. If you are following the Center for Biblical Unity at all, um, you will know that we do book clubs quarterly. And this round of books that we'll be going through are Jason Riley's Please Stop Helping Us, Jamar Tisby's How to Fight Racism, because we believe in reading first sources, not because we necessarily agree with everything that's written in the book, and um, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice by Scott Allen. And so sign up if you haven't. It's $35 per book group, and you can find the link on our website, centerforbiblicalunity.com. Just go to the resources tab. Now... One, uh, just to explain a little bit about how book clubs work. Yes. Um, people read a couple of chapters each week. Uh-huh. Then they hop on a Zoom call with one of our awesome leaders. Yes. And the leaders kind of lead a guided conversation about those chapters, answer questions, help them process what they're reading. And um, our, our book club reader, our leaders are just fantastic um, and really will help aid people in their learning and processing as they go through the, the book. Um, all of our book clubs are six weeks. Yes. And so you an hour can, and a half each week, hour and a half each week. And if you um, want, you can't meet during the live time, there's a virtual option that's available um, for purchase where you can just access the recordings and then participate in the Facebook group. Yeah. And if you are interested in potentially leading a book group, reach out to us at center for biblical backslash volunteer, because we do have some volunteer possibilities open. Oh, Alicia says her son has that shirt, the greater Things shirt. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. So, All right. And then the last thing that we want to mention before we dig in is on Thursday at the family meeting, we did a special family meeting. It was a little bit longer, but I had a conversation with the one and only Uncle Virgil Walker. And we talked about some of the things happening within the Southern Baptist Convention. He was at the convention or the conference and I almost knocked over our little set. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And he shared some of his thoughts on what's happening. It was a really good conversation. We have pulled a segment of it and put it directly just as that highlighted segment on our Facebook page. So go and check that out. It's also on YouTube. Yeah. And it's also on YouTube. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Thanks to Bob. Yes. None of this would be possible. This would not. This would not be possible. That's right. All right. So tell us a little bit about our guest tonight. Let's move into that. Well, he is a graduate of SES, Southern Evangelical Evangelical Seminary, Seminary. because I always get them confused with Southeastern. Yeah. But I know it's not the same. Not the same. Every time I talk to Adam Tucker at SES, he's at, we are not Southeastern. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. No. (laughs) Um, And he received, he received, I believe he received his PhD from there. He's written a book called The African-American's Guide to Christianity. 
To the Bible. To, to the Bible, not to Christianity. I'm sorry, my brain is a little going too too fast to the Bible. And it I've gone through it and it walks us through some very important um there it is. passages and pieces to things that I think have been problematic among blacks in relation to Christianity yeah. itself. That's what I was trying to say. Um so things like why do a lot of why do a lot of black Pastors, churches highlight the Exodus. What does the Exodus mean for, for you know, the African American church and things yeah. like that? But he he talks about like you know, our blacks um, in the Bible. In the Bible yeah. is is Christianity a white man's religion? Things that I think African Americans tend to think about or talk about a lot. Yeah, I mean, the whole purpose of apologetics is to it's kind of twofold. It's to bolster the faith of Christians who might be struggling in their faith but also to remove obstacles for non-Christians. And I think what Dr. Felder's work does is it highlights some very specific questions that many of our African-American friends might struggle with um, that are particular struggles to them. Like the question we're going to be talking about tonight is, what does the Bible teach about slavery? Um, talking about the question, is is Christianity the white man's religion? You know, are there Africans in the Bible? What is their contribution? And just so many questions. So it's not about like segregating the body. It's yes. more about bringing people along and understanding that there are particular questions. Just as the place where I've worked the last 22 and a half years, we reach out to scientists mm -hmm. because we know that they have specific obstacles to the faith that they struggle with. Yes. And so that's not about dividing the body. That's about making the body bigger. Yes, and, it's an inclusive work. Yeah, a truly biblical. It's a strategic. Yeah, yeah. And in inclusive in the best sense mm -hmm. of how do we remove these obstacles for these particular people? And so um, excited we uh, are excited to re uh, to introduce Dr. Felder's work to the family. Yes. And so let's get him on. There he is. Hello, hello. How's hello, it going? Hello. Nice to see you again. Ah, nice to see you as well. Nice to be on the show. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We're looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I've been excited to do this show for a while. We actually had this show set up months ago. We talked months. to Dr. Felder, had a Zoom call with him. We're like, let's have you on for Juneteenth. And then now all of a sudden, here we are. It's a federal holiday. There it is. <laughs> It is. <laughs> we were just thinking, oh, this would be an appropriate question. It was so. And it was all you. You were definitely um, spearheading this one. Yeah. So, so Dr. Felder, maybe just um, want to introduce you to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what prompted you to write your book. Well, thank you. Um, actually, what I think throws people a lot of times is that I, I actually, although I grew up in the church, I actually became a professing atheist. And I became a professing atheist in March of 1982. And it was when I was stationed in the Philippines. And I remember when I walked out the gate and I saw all these bars and all these beautiful women. And I knew that belief in a God would interfere with the way I wanted to live my life. So I made a decision right then and there, and I said, I no longer believe in God. I don't want to be held accountable to no one but myself. I don't want nobody else telling me what to do, when to do it, 
I don't want nobody else saying me, telling me something else is wrong. And I imagine in heaven, God was saying, thy will be done. And God actually turned me over to my, to my desires. And I became enslaved to those desires. Um, I became pretty hardcore atheist. As a matter of fact, I hated Christians and I hated everything to do with Christians. But there were times when I did struggle with my atheism. And that is when I would go out to sea and I would look up at the stars at night. And I would look and say that Pookie didn't create that. No man created that. But when I got back to land, I would just double down on my atheism. I would double down on, on women and alcohol. And that's pretty much where I lived my life. When I got out the military and I uh, actually went to school to uh, get my, got my undergraduate degree in computer science. And, and one day my uncle introduced me to a young lady who was a Christian, but I was interested in her, not because she was a Christian, but because she was fine. And he told me that she was a new Christian. So it would just be a matter of time before, you know, that was over with. And then I was, you know, I was in a good spot. But actually she was the first Christian I ever met that talked to talk and walked to walk. And, and what actually ended up happening is, is that just through her life, I actually uh, became open to Christianity. And one day she took me, she invited me to go to church with her on a Friday. And I remember, I remember that very clearly because I remember thinking to myself, who in the world goes to church on a Friday? That's when you go to happy hour. You don't go to church. <laughs> but I went and the Holy Spirit was moving. It moved upon me and I, I, I knew something was going on. I resisted it. And I was telling her about it on the way home and she was like, that's the Holy Spirit. And I believed her and she said, we, don't, we just pull over right now. You accept the Lord. I pulled over and I accepted the Lord. And after about two weeks, I started thinking that, you know, maybe I just got caught up in emotion. Maybe this was just some emotional thing that I got caught up in. Maybe Christianity is not even true now. I'm a logical thinker. At the time, I'm a software engineer at NASA. Like I said, undergraduate degree, University of Maryland in, in computer science. And so I decided to do some research. And when I, did, when I started doing research, I was shocked to find out all the information that Christianity was true, that God was the God of the Bible, that the resurrection actually happened, that, you know, that God does exist. And, and I actually made a determination to, to actually um, give my life to apologetics. So I actually sold my house and I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I uh, attended Southern Evangelical Seminary. Yes, Southern Evangelical Seminary. <laughs> Don't come for me. <laughs> and I got my uh, master's in apologetics. And um, and then I decided to, to go back and get my uh, get my, my doctorate, my doctorate of ministry, D-Men. And um, I had to come up with a with a with a dissertation. I, I had a hard time coming up with the topic. So I actually went to a Juneteenth celebration. Funny we're talking about Juneteenth, Juneteenth and funny I'm on here, you know, with Juneteenth. But I actually went to a Juneteenth celebration and I remember thinking, wow, this is really cool. They had good food, they had good music, but I saw a picture. And you know how they say a picture's worth a thousand words. And this picture was worth a thousand words. And it was a picture of, a black baby and the black baby was being fed by 
a, a spoon, a large spoon. And the spoon was being held by a white hand. And in the spoon was a cross, the Bible, and chains. And that spoke to me because I knew that wasn't true. I knew that 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 people's belief or the, the idea of some, you know, an African-American community that Christianity is a slave religion, that Christianity is a, is not a religion for, for black people or for people of color. I knew that was false. So that's when I decided to actually write my book to actually deal with those issues. And the first part of my book is just dealing with the fact that the Bible is the word of God, because if the Bible is not the word of God, then who cares what it says? And the second part, I'm talking about the black presence in the Bible, which you touched on, you know, that, that we were, you know, people in the Bible. And the third part, I deal with all the, all the arguments of the Bible and racism. And I even go through all the scriptures, well, not all the scriptures, but a lot of the scriptures. And I, 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 I take them in context and show that it means exactly the opposite of what uh, some people have said. And then about the last part is what you touched on as well, is I talk about the unity of man. I talk about God's view of man and God's view of man all as one, because we are all from Adam and Eve. We're all made in the image of God. God sees us as one. So that's it in a nutshell. And I love your book. I, I've reposted it on so social media several times to introduce it to people. I've read the book. It's so helpful. It's so clearly written. It's a wonderful book to give away to people. You need to talk to Amazon about fixing the typo in the word edition. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I, I called them up and they were like, they're, they're oh, so hard to, to deal with. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but to it is a fantastic book. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I, I recommend so few books, but this is definitely one that is super helpful, clearly written, um, especially if somebody's newer to apologetics and they're, you know, a, an African-American person and they really have these questions. This is, this is such a great on-ramp for them. And, um, yeah, just just I just appreciate so much um, what your project has been with this book, and I'm happy to highlight it. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned Juneteenth. Today is Juneteenth, and apparently there's been controversy around Juneteenth that, that I was completely unaware of. I must live under a rock, but it, it has some controversy. But can you explain to us what is Juneteenth? Like, where did it get its history? What happened on June 19th? Well, it wasn't so much what happened on June 19th. Um, what, what, what happened is, is that, you know, we had the, um, we had the Emancipation Proclamation, of course, but that pretty much well applied to the Northern states. But then the Civil War ended and basically s slavery ended with the Civil War. Well, <laughs> not all slave masters were having it. I mean, there were some who were like, well, I don't care what those Yankees say. And some of them actually went to Texas because Texas was sort of like, they weren't really in the Civil War, so they were considered like a safe haven. So, and a, lot of, and a lot of the slave owners in Texas didn't let their slaves know that they were free. So it wasn't until the Union soldiers actually went there in Texas and marched down the street and actually let the slaves know that they were free, that they were actually free because they didn't know they were free. And, and, and that is why, then the next year the freemen of, of Texas uh, actually got together and started Juneteenth as sort of a jubilee to celebrate the, the their true emancipation. 
Okay. Yeah, and it, it was. I was telling Monique right before the show, I was like, I had never heard of Juneteenth. Until I came to live with her. Until she came. And then we did a little short bit on the show two years ago about it. And that was really kind of my first introduction to it. But I think a lot of my friends had never even heard of it until last year. She's just over here shaking her head. She's like, how can people not know about how this? You, I grew up knowing about <laughs> How do you not know about Juneteenth? Yeah. But, you know. But now, you, now we know. The more we know. The more, the more you know. Remember that little commercial that had a little star to go across? Yeah. The more you know. That's okay. what we need. I'm dating myself. Let me stop. Okay. So you mentioned that many of the slaveholders weren't having it. And many of the slaveholders actually used things like Christianity or other like excuses, I'll say, to be able to keep to be able to keep their slaves like enslaved, you, doing things like removing pieces of the Bible or um, using certain passages to to keep people, um, you know, from wanting to revolt or rebel and things like that. Do you think that? The practice of, like, some of the practices of removing um, scriptures from the Bible or the fact that it was Christian slaveholders that wanted to uphold slavery has impacted the way African Americans participate with Christianity today. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There were clearly, there were clearly uh, slave owners who used the Bible to justify slavery. But, but let's, let, let's also keep in mind that, that people will use any authority that exists in order to push their agenda. So it wasn't just the Bible that they used, it was also science. You also had uh, evolution that, was, that supposedly proved that black people were inferior. So yeah, so Christianity was one of the things that they also used to try to prove that black people were inferior and they were slave owners who definitely did that. But the, the, the thing I want to mention also, and, and, and like I mentioned, I go in my book and I go through some of these passages that were used, and these passages were all taken out of concept. And another thing I want people to use that, although there definitely were Christians who did that, is that there are, there's a big difference between Christians and Christianity. Christians may not look anything like Christianity because as Christians, we are still flawed. But Christianity isn't what Christians do. Christianity is what Jesus in the New Testament teaches. So that is something that I definitely want people to walk away with. And, and, and keep in mind also that every major religion, every religion that has been around practiced slavery. Matter of fact, Islam was way more Investing in slavery. Although we had slavery for 200 years here, Islam had slavery for 14, for, for 14 centuries. So just because, you know, we hear that there are Christians doing it doesn't mean it was Christian. And this isn't something that is specific to Christianity. It was some, something specific to every worldview that existed. But, but, but to your point, yes, it is a stumbling block to some Black people because some Black people, when they hear uh, Christianity, they automatically think slave religion. And that is one of the reasons why I wrote my book is to break down that barrier. Is there a difference between the slavery we, we read about in scripture and American slavery? Or is it all like the same? Because I think that's also, I, I would say it's a misconception in a lot of places, but um, I've heard like, well, 
the Bible condones slavery and that's why, you know, white people like it because they want to rule over everybody. And then there's this whole just pressing down of all of the different narratives to make white people bad. And thus white people are bad. Slavery's bad. It's all just America's bad. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Slavery has always existed. Slavery has existed since the dawn of mankind. It has always existed. It wasn't invented by the Bible. And actually, in all honesty, the word slavery itself is sort of problematic. And, and I say it's problematic because the word, the word slavery comes from the word slav, which were when the Slavic people were taking slaves in Europe during like the nine, what was it, 900 AD. But, but to your point, there were, there were key differences. First of all, what we have in the Bible is that it wasn't based on race. Um, race is not a biblical concept. Whenever we read race into the Bible, we are reading something foreign into the Bible. And actually, I find that that gets rid of a lot, a lot of the um, actual um, charges against racism in the Bible when you just deal with the fact that there is no such thing as race. And I spent a lot of time in the Bible going through the genealogies demonstrating that, that, you know, that, that the Jews weren't white and the people around them were black. So it was the white people enslaving the black people. That, that, no, no, nothing like that. The, over, the overwhelming majority of, of people who were slaves, it was more of an indentured servant type of thing uh, where a family member may uh, uh, have another family member become a slave because they couldn't feed them. And they wanted that, they, wanted, they needed to generate some, some uh, income for their family. Well, someone who, who's gotten into debt may sell themselves out into slavery. But even then, there was like a six year uh, limit to that. Yeah, there were and, there were limits to it, and it wasn't like the result of kidnapping. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a that's an important difference. I want to make sure that everybody catches your your point before we go too far into what the Bible says about slavery. When it comes to race, the Bible doesn't make that distinction. It's God seems utterly unconcerned about identifying people according to their skin tone and you know you don't hear verses about well the you know lighter skinned people darker skinned people like the bible's not concerned with that our culture is obsessed yes. with skin yeah. color right now yes and yes. so if we're going to think about things in a distinctly christian way we have to know that that is not how God necessarily, like the first thing on his mind is not, well, what color is their skin? Right. Uh, like I said, race is not a biblical concept. God dealt with people by nations. He dealt with the Israelites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. He didn't deal with the blacks. He didn't deal with the whites. There was no such thing as a concept. Uh, black and white are actual recent concepts. They are, they are social constructs that were created in recent history in order to divide people. And it is doing a better job dividing us now than it was ever done for slavery. Let me just say that. So, so yes, you're right. Color, skin color had nothing to do with it. And also, also want to point out the fact that one of the things that God did put, put parameters around people, put parameters around us people, for instance, like if, 
If a slave did escape and someone found him, he didn't have to return him to his master. If a slave was beaten and he was, uh, if he died that same day, then that slave master was charged with murder and held accordingly to the way that the Bible deals with people who were murdered. So it always maintained the dignity of the person. And I also want to say, and I think I touched on this, is that slavery existed in every culture in the near Middle East. Every culture around them dealt with slavery. If you think about it, I mean, just think about it. Every time you hear about people going into captivity, that was slavery. And when people say that the Jews enslaved the blacks around them, I have to say to myself, well, first of all, I do that, that, that they weren't different. But also, it was the Jews who went into slavery, into captivity in Babylon, who's descendant of Ham, people of color. They also went into captivity in Assyria, who's a descendant of Ham, people of color. So that definitely had nothing to do with it. Now, I will say that there were times, and like I said, God did not invent slavery, but there were times that God did use it to punish the wicked. God did use it to punish the nations of Canaan because God gave them a lot of time to repent of their wickedness. They didn't do it, so God sent them into captivity under the Israelites. But like I said before, he also sent the Israelites into captivity under other nations as well. So it had nothing to do with skin color at all. I'm you like we would do back at somebody's grandmama church. Come on. Come on. You got everybody on here shouting. Dana shouting. Mike Davis on here shouting. I see him. I see. Yes. That's a good word. There's a great comment on YouTube from our friend Candy, who grew up in Jamaica, but now lives in Canada. She says, um, as well, see, she said, I think I had the benefit of growing up in Jamaica where we learned a lot about the hist our history of slavery. I never felt like my history was being hidden or erased, but as black Jamaicans, we were in the majority. So of course the school system focused on our history. I'm sure Chinese and Indians in Jamaica felt like their history in Jamaica is erased. So that was kind of an interesting, interesting kind of cultural comment. So, um, yeah, this is this is great stuff. This is really helpful. And just delineating some of the differences between American slavery and slavery in the Bible. So yeah. when, when skeptics come at us and say, well, the Bible endorses slavery, we have to make some distinctions about that. And in God's standard of justice, like American slavery would have been would punishable have, by death yeah i mean because it's all man based snatching. on man snatching at, at its foundation and you know mistreating slaves there were laws against that and you couldn't slaves dying yeah being, be, being injured there were laws about all of these things so um there was definitely protections in place for that so very very helpful distinction can, can there. I, can I yeah. sort of give you a history of slavery? Yes, you come on now. Yes. Yes. Come on. <laughs> you better say it. Okay. As I was saying before, we see that all throughout history. We know nations going captive into other nations. That's exactly what it was. We see that the Jews were, were uh, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. I mean, we see that, you know, that the, the, the Greeks practice it, the Romans practice it. But, but what we don't, I don't think, realize is that when we start to come up even closer to modern times, 
is that Europeans enslaved Europeans. I mean, that went on for hundreds of years. Here is the formula. Stronger nations enslaved weaker nations. That was the formula. And that formula carried into every continent on the world, in the world. So, so you also had, you know, like I said, the Egyptians, the uh, Europeans were enslaved Europeans, Africans enslaved Europeans. As a matter of fact, the first Europeans to come to Africa were coming as slaves. In fact, in Egypt, they were still selling white slaves on the auction block after slavery was outlawed in the United States. So that's something, but here's another thing. Asians enslaved Asians. Africans enslaved Africans. Now, now, now I'm gonna say something right now, that it may get me a little hot water, but I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I remember when I was growing up, I was watching Roots and that movie made me mad, especially the part where those white people came and took Kunta Kinte and his family back to America and, and made them slaves. The problem with that is, is that it never happened. That never happened. What actually happened was, is that the white people came to Africa and they bought the slaves from African tribes that took other African tribes slaves. So, you, you, you don't, come on. <laughs> so they didn't go there taking people. They went there buying slaves that were already taking the slaves. And then coming to the United States, I'm gonna take, take you even a step further. When we got to the United States, then you had, before, before the first colonists came to the United States, Native Americans were enslaving Native Americans. They were enslaving, Native, they were enslaving each other long before the white man touched down on, on this nation. And when the white man touched, a lot of them made friends with the white man so that they could help them take their other na uh, Native slave, uh, as slaves. But not only that, not only that, when, now before the white man came, and this is, this, is, this, is, this is true in Africa as well, before the white man came, what would generally happen is that they would go and kill the people instead of taking them slaves. They would generally kill the men, take the woman and children as slaves. But then once there was a market for it, then they started taking them as slaves and then selling them to the white man. Now, May, many of you may have, have heard about that, but this part you probably, I, when I, I go and I speak on this all over, very few people hear about this, but there were plenty, as a matter of fact, plenty of Native Americans who took African Americans as slaves, plenty of them. As a matter of fact, a lot of times when they raided the plantations, they were raided the plantations specifically for the slaves. And then they were selling to other slave owners uh, in, in, in other states. So, so that is part of the history we don't know about. Uh, actually, um, if you go to my website or my YouTube channel, I actually, I've actually done, uh, done talks on this. But there's a guy who's uh, at the Smithsonian, Magazine, Smithsonian Institute, and he was commanding himself. And he was doing uh, research on that. And he found out. Uh, he was actually doing the research on the Trail of Tears. And I don't, I don't know if you know about the Trail of Tears, but the Trail of Tears, mm -hmm. when they relocated a lot of uh, uh, Native Americans from, um, well, this part, when I say this part, I'm talking about like North Carolina. This, yeah, the East Coast part. into right, like Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. Right, right. But what people don't know is, 
is that when when they were when they were going through the Trail of Tears, these Native Americans had their slaves with them. They had slaves with them. They totally bought into the slave system. They put down slave rebellions. They treated their slaves the same way that the white man treated slaves. As a matter of fact, they were called the five, five of those tribes were called the five civilized tribes. And one of the reasons why they were called civilized is because they engaged in slavery. But it doesn't stop there. African-Americans enslaved African-Americans as well. There you go. There you go. That is what I was like. The only one he has hit on was us. Yes. But yeah. see, now, ladies and gentlemen, you know, they were buying, they were buying, you know, their, their, their family. That was the exception. That was not the rule. And we know this for a fact because we have the bill of sales. We have the mortgages on them. We have the wills where, where they are, um, where they are willing this slave to that daughter and this slave to that son. As a matter of fact, we have the census records. We know exactly how many. There were like 10,000 free slaves who had slaves themselves. And as a matter of fact, like in, 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 in examples in Charleston, 70, and I think this is pretty, pretty comparable around the South, 77% of free blacks had slaves. 77% of free blacks had slaves. So this idea that slavery is a peculiar institution is just not true. It's peculiar to white people. Yeah, I think it's, it's simply not true. Slavery has always existed. And the only reason slavery doesn't exist today is because Christianity laid the foundation for the abolition of slavery worldwide. So not only is Christianity not the slave religion, it is the exact opposite. So does that mean you're not going to pay me my reparations? Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm going to need you to. Wait a minute. I need, I need gas, gas money. I know. You got $5? Because I want to make sure that people don't miss this very important point because Monique and I have taken a lot of heat. Yes. When we make statements like slavery has been around since the dawn of humanity it is a sin problem. It is a sin like every other sin problem. There's nothing new under the sun. And people really take exception with, with those statements from us because it's like they want to put the American experience of, of whites enslaving Africans as being like in this little special bubble that, you know, there's no other slavery that's ever happened that is as horrific as what whites did to, to Africans, but the, and it is horrible and humans are wicked. We, Adam and Eve are our first parents and, and we are capable of doing wicked, horrible things to each other. And yet God's justice, I think it's so interesting that his justice standards required that the laws treated the slaves and the servants with the same dignity as yes. as the free people. You couldn't just go around abusing slaves right. because they were slaves. God's justice standard acknowledges the sinfulness of man. So like, just as Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you know, Moses granted you a certificate of divorce because your hearts were hard. Your hearts were wicked. God says, Look, your hearts are hard. You're going to enslave people, but we're not just going to be all willy nilly about this. We're not going to let evil run rampant. 
we're going to have constraints on evil because these people are image bearers. So, yeah, yeah I don't know if you want to add to that or anything, but. Yeah. And, and one of the things I find fascinating is how black people want to run to Islam as being some kind of a savior. When, when the fact of the matter is Islam was more invested in, Christ, in slavery than Christianity was. So we had, we had a lot of black Africans who died on the Middle Passage going to America. There were more who died crossing the Sahara as slaves going to the Middle East. As a matter of fact, by some records, one and two slaves died on the way to the Middle East. So, so there is no slavery there, no savior there. But, 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 but not only that, <laughs> Islam is still practicing slavery. There are still parts of Africa right now where Christians are taking the slaves. I know this for a fact because I have paid to free some of those slaves. That's a good point. Sorry, I was just going through. Yeah, I was just looking through the comments too. Um, this, this, this is. I'm hoping this is helping somebody. So when we think about from a New Testament perspective of how did this begin to be dealt with in the New Testament church? Because, because God lays out this radical new vision yeah. of drawing people from among the nations to create a new household a new family. And so now all of a sudden you've got people in a, in a local church conference uh, context where you might have a Roman soldier who works for the government. You might have a Jewish tax collector. You might have um, someone who was from North Africa. You might have a rich person and a slave because two thirds of the Roman world were slaves. And so and there they all are together and God's making this new people. So what is the vision? Like what would be some good scriptures we could point to from a new Testament context when it comes to the question of slavery? Okay. So the church began at Pentecost. All right. So you read Acts 8 and it talks about who was present at Pentecost and they were Jews from all over the world. There were Jews from the Middle East. There were Jews from Africa. They were all there. The first church, and we know that that 3,000 joined the church that day, and there were 3,000 people from Jews from all over the world, all color, every color under the skin. So the first church, the beginning of the church, the DNA of the church was multicultural. But not only that, let's look at this. The first non-Jewish convert was the Ethiopian eunuch. And God performed a miracle in order for Philip to reach out to the Ethiopian eunuch. That Ethiopian eunuch went back to his queen, Candace, shared the gospel. By 400 AD, pretty much well, all of Africa was Christianized. The idea that Christianity came to Africa by white missionaries is a total fabrication. Christianity, the heartbeat of Christianity was in Africa and it went from Africa and spread to Europe. So that is the foundation. So the whole church was as diverse as it could possibly be. But we didn't, we, you know, we, so we see that the church was, 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 was very diverse and we, and we see passages that, 
that sort of actually deal with that as well. We we have uh, Paul in First Timothy one nine and ten, and he's talking about he put slave traders in the same category with murderers. Uh, Revelation thirteen ten speaks against those who bring people into captivity. Another translation says um, says um, uh, men stealers. We have Philemon where where um, you have Paul told tells Onesius to go back, but he tells uh, Philemon to accept him not as a slave, but as a fellow person as Christ, as he would accept Paul himself. But let me say something here to try to put things into perspective. One of the challenges we have is that whenever we think of slavery, we go to Annabelle himself. And we, we are looking at slavery from a perspective that didn't exist thousands of years ago. Slavery had always existed. Slavery was not seen as an institution that needed to be dealt with. That was how nations did. That's how nations got their labor. It was, a, it was not even seen, it was an accepted institution by man. So now we're looking back on it and saying, man, slavery was so horrible. Yes, but we are judging it by a different standard than the standard that they were dealing with. So when we look at it now, we are dealing with it because Christianity has given us the idea that all men are created equal and all men are made in the image of God. But without that idea, you can't really make a case that slavery is wrong. See, this is... We just going to sit here for a minute. We yeah, to, because we, we got to let ponder. that soak in. Yeah, you need to rest <laughs> on that. I, I don't think people really have an appreciation for the assumption of the dignity of humanity and that that is a uniquely Judeo-Christian idea. You don't just run over into other nations where they are dominated by other religions and have a conversation about what we take for granted as the dignity of, of humanity. And so to even have a conversation about slavery being wrong or immoral is to assume Yes. a critical aspect of our worldview. And yes, you, absolutely. Mr. Atheist, may not affirm my worldview, but you are now borrowing from yes. my worldview. So if you want to have a conversation about the indignity of slavery and how it oppresses humanity, cool, we can talk about that, but I just want to make you aware you're borrowing from my worldview. This, right. this, and And we take it for granted. I don't think we we often reflect how we just assume the dignity of humanity to, to begin to proceed to have a conversation about the evils of slavery. Slavery was just a granted. Nobody yeah. was asking the question, should we be oppressing these right. people? Should we be capturing them? Nobody was asking that question. So, and, and, and actually what happened was, so the Quakers were the first ones to do it in the colony. The Quakers said, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to have, we're not going to allow our congregation to have slaves anymore. And then that took over, then that caught on to the Quakers in, in, in Great Britain, in the UK. And then the Anglican Church, the Anglican Church, which was, which would today be called your far right evangelicals, made the decision also that slavery was wrong which sparked William Wilberforce and the abolitionist movement. 
The whole movement started from the simple idea that man is made in the image of God. Now, they did not just take that and say, okay, you know, that's good for us. But they, based on that, they outlawed slavery. It took, it took a couple of decades. They outlawed slavery. But they not only did that, they propagated that idea around the world. So now you had the British Navy, the greatest military in the world, were actually, because they were a military might, because they were an economic might, this European nation was actually forcing other nations to give up slavery by, um, by threatening them. They were actually sinking their ships, boarding their ships. If any treaties they did with them made them uh, give up slavery. So they were actually using their colonialism in order to propagate the idea that slavery was wrong. And, and that is why uh, the whole idea slavery was wrong caught on. And it gradually caught on. And the reason why slavery then was outlawed in Africa, because remember now, Africans were taking slaves, Africans were taking Africans as slaves for, for thousands of years. But then when because a lot of it was colonized, when the when the when the, those who were colonized were saying no more slavery, then slavery ended there as well. So so but it all started with that idea that man is made in the image of God. That is why slavery. It's incompatible with Christianity, but it's compatible with every other worldview. It's clearly compatible with, Christ, with, uh, with atheism. And no other worldview has that idea that man is made in the image of God. Because of that, men deserve dignity just because they are made in the image of God. Very good. I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and listen. <laughs> I know I should elevate elevate <laughs> black voices, but today I'm just going to listen. We're going to elevate um, Dr. Yeah. Felder's voice. Yes, yes, yes. Because this is, this is awesome. I think this answers so many questions. Like the idea that um, white people just want to normalize slavery or the, the, the conversation to normalize slavery because it happened everywhere. You know, th but that's not actually the truth is not about, you know, trying to normalize American slavery because it happened everywhere. We can say that American slavery was unique in the fact that, you know, people use the word or, you know, to to uphold. And that's what makes it so horrible. It, yeah. Extra. Like, that's horrible, horrible. You yeah. know what I mean? And we also can recognize that slavery is not a white man's problem. Slavery yeah. is a sin problem because the hearts of man are wicked. Yeah. Well, this has yeah. been so helpful. We're getting so many um, yeah, I'm like great the comments. comments. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it, it is um, great. I mean, yeah, you dropping he, some knowledge. People don't even some people don't even have any words. They just put in emojis. Do you, <laughs> do you know Walton Jonathan? Because he just got a mic and then speakers. <laughs> this this is the level of knowledge that is being dropped. Yes. Yes. It's so helpful. You're really helping a lot of people. Um, and so we want to encourage everyone to go get Dr. Felder's book. It is a very accessible resource to share with people, to equip yourself, to engage in these conversations and to bring facts. Yes. And this is again, you know, maybe we need to put this on, on our, on our book list or I already on have our class. It. I already because have it. Yeah. 
Um, people need to, to be empowered. And it doesn't matter what your color is. We're going we gonna to make a shirt that says truth knows no color. Because if you have the truth, you are empowered to speak the truth. It doesn't matter if culture tells you you can't say that because you're white. Truth knows no color. Like that it, truth isn't truth is not um, only to be spoken or, you know, by by certain people. No, truth can be declared openly. And we have the scriptures. The word is the truth. And the 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 book, all of the information in it yeah. comes from the word of God. And that's yeah. how we disarm culture and arm ourselves and shame the things of the devil by with the truth of God. And that we can have a conversation about race and remove these obstacles for people. We don't have to fall into the error of critical race theory and dividing up the body. And that's not what this is about. This is about evangelism. This is about bringing the, the gospel near to people, removing unnecessary obstacles with the truth of history and scripture. So we can go over to the comments real quick, Bob, on the CFBU Facebook. There's just some some great feedback. Um, can I? Yeah, can go I ahead. So uh, one of the things I did want to mention as well is that <laughs> I told you all about how I, you know, uh, became an atheist. And I wanted to basically I, I wanted to sleep with as many women as I wanted to. And I wanted to drink like I wanted to. And I mentioned that God turned me over to the eyes of my own flesh. And what I mean by that is those two things became my reason for living. And um, after I got the military, I was a full-blown alcoholic. I mean, God turned me over to the desires of my own flesh. I was a whoremonger. I mean, I was, when I woke up in the morning, those were the two things that I dealt with. And after I became a believer, um, the first thing God dealt with was, was my alcohol, alcoholism. And, and I remember I, did, I was still a drunk. I was just a same drunk. And, and I remember, I remember I tried to stop and I couldn't stop because I tried to, I tried to stop under my own, under my own power. And I remember, uh, I was on the, um, on the living room floor of my house. Uh, my house was empty because my wife left me. Uh, she, you know, she, she was gone. And, uh, and I remember crying out to God and I said, God, if you don't, if you don't take this from me, I'm going to die. By that time, I was drinking a fifth of vodka a day. I mean, a day. Uh, weekends, I just drank until I passed out. And God heard my prayer. About a week later, I went to take a drink of vodka. And when it touched my lips, I it tasted like gasoline. And that was back in 89. I have not had a drink since. Don't even like the smell of alcohol. And then God turned to me toward me about my, my fornication. Now, I mean, that was a little bit more difficult because God never took that desire away from me. However, God did deal with me on it. And one time after I finished having sex with a young lady, God showed me a vision. And he showed me a vision. It was, it was actually Jesus. And Jesus was, it wasn't a vision out there. It was in here. And I saw him and he was crying. And he said to me, he said, you chose to, pl- to please yourself over pleasing me. And from that day on, I was celibate until I met, well, until I married my wife in 2008. Um, I was celibate for 10 years. So those two things uh, that I wanted to do, I, I became in bondage to them. God set me free from those things. Um, and I just want to say that God would not only 
set you free. He not only set the, the captives free physically through abolishing slavery, he also set the captives free spiritually because I'm no longer a slave to sin. So good. Man. I'm so glad you shared that. Thank you, man. It's a powerful testimony of God's true freedom and yeah. setting us free from, from our sin. So yeah, it's like, you know, we, we celebrate Juneteenth, you know, one day a year and, but there's so much more to celebrate every day, every day. The when freedom you, we have the in freedom Christ. we have in Christ every day. Yeah. So good. Not saying that celebrating, you know, being free from slavery is, is like a negative thing, but there is a lot to be celebrated. And there's a deeper freedom that's, yeah. that's needed. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's go out to some comments before we say goodbye to Dr. Felder. Dana says, I'm beside myself. Our public schools are not teaching anything close to this. Now I understand all the more why there is such an aggressive campaign to erase any acknowledgement of our Judeo-Christian faith anywhere in the system. Mm-hmm. Mike Davis, um, who has some wonderful teachings. If you guys haven't checked out Mike Davis's stream over on his Facebook page, go check him out. I've been watching yeah. some of his teachings. They're so helpful. Um, and... Uh, he says, I've already gone to Dr. Felder's YouTube channel and subscribed. I bought his book. So very good. So, so glad to get everybody resourced um, with quality and biblical voices. Yes. So, and I love it. I, I, I love it. It's so exciting. Yes. And we want to thank our friend Melissa Palou for getting us connected with Dr. Felder. And he was so instrumental in her journey in apologetics so Melissa, she's a real MVP. She be coming through. Look I at know, her coming through. Yes. All right. Any final words for us, Dr. Felder, before we say goodbye? Uh, no, I, just just the fact that um, that when we hear these um, in my book, I have this 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 uh, acronym that I use whenever someone brings up something racist that the Bible says or something racist about Christianity. I use this acronym, it's called J-Bird and it's J-B-I-R-D. And if you remember J-Bird, you can defeat any arguments of racism. The J stands for Jews were not white. That's the J. B-I stands for biblical interpretation. You have to look at the context of a passage. R stands for race is not a biblical concept. When we read race into the Bible, then we are already making a mistake. And D is the difference between Christians and Christianity. Christianity is not what Christians do. It's what Christ in the Bible teaches. With those, you can defend all the arguments against racism in the Bible. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, I put that in the chat on YouTube. Yeah. We'll get it over on Facebook in just a minute. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Felder. We look thank forward you. to having you on again, talking about some more some more powerful topics and just we want to resource everyone and point people to your important work. So thank you. Well, I, see, I, got, I got another question. Oh, you do? I feel like it's going to take us a long time. Next <laughs> time we'll have them on again. But you could answer it now if you wanted to. <laughs> Go for it. Go for okay, it. Okay. So look, what happened was because of slavery and race and racism and Jim Crow, like all these things. And I mean, especially racism. Um, I think during slavery, there was not necessarily a need for a black church. Um, with the Robert, I forgot Robert's the guy's last name, but um, you know, he was there and praying, and um, white men came in and kicked him out of the church that was multi 
ethnic, even though like blacks had to sit on one side, the black church was formed because of a lot of racism. How do you think that the black church today is is currently still living in the I guess the the result or the root of a lot of the sin of of that initial racism. Does that make sense? Like how are we still living in a lot of the the past, I guess, as the black church? Or do or do you even think or so at that, all? Or like as a consequence? Yeah, as a, yeah, like yeah. to me what what let me just put that. What you, what's your thoughts on the black church? Cuz I got a <laughs> lot of thoughts on the black church and I just I just need to know. I just need to talk it over with somebody. Can we just be there for a minute? Okay, I have to be honest with you. I have changed my view on this. Um, um, yes, the black church came about like you have, you know, you have like uh, denominations like uh, AME that came about primarily because there were the white church wouldn't let them be part of it, part of them. So they developed their own camp and they really had no choice. But now, um, People go to the black church, and I think a lot because of, of, of cultural uh, familiarity. You know, there's familiarity with the with the worship style. There's familiarity with sometimes the preaching style, with you know the the hacking and stuff like that. But I think that now we should be coming to a point where um, we should be trying to be more what God wants us to be, and. And the reason why I say that, because I think God gives us a picture of what the church is, because when we look at revelations and the, the revelator, uh, John is looking at heaven and he's looking at all the people there. And he's saying that there are people from every nation, tribe and tongue, and they are all worshiping God together. I think we should get a head start on heaven and, and get with the program here. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to email you. You just watch out. (laughs) Well, thank you, Dr. Felder. We're so glad to have you join us and uh, we look forward to future conversations with you. Yeah, this has been amazing. So helpful. And so glad that you were able to join us and just bring such great knowledge. Yeah. So we'll see you soon. God bless. Bye. Bye. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was so good. That, that was, I learned a ton. Yeah, that's yes, he yes, was dropping real. all kinds of knowledge. Mike okay. and Dana on Facebook laughing at me. I was y'all. I was trying. I was I was trying to be diplomatic and not you know just willy nilly. But it, I, sometimes you just got to say stuff. Yeah, well, you're thinking through that whole black church situation. So, yeah. all right. So let's talk a little bit about the um, reconciled curriculum. Where are we at with that? What's your what's our big announcement? Drop date. All right. July 31st. All right. It's yes, coming out. It's coming out July 31st. And we are going to have a um, launch party on July 29th at our regular family meeting. Our regular family meeting that happens on Thursdays is going to be moved up an hour to 5 o'clock p.m. Um, Pacific, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. We're going to have a launch party with some special guests. We're probably going to have a little special music. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And then uh, the curriculum itself will drop on July 31st. You can pre-order today. And when you pre-order, you will receive my talk talk reconciling the reconciled and the the forward that was written by dr jp moreland i call him my uncle dr jp moreland because he's awesome 
And yes, go ahead and, and get on there. You'll also receive a cover, the picture of the cover that you can share on social media with all your friends and ministry partners and spread the word that this is coming out. We are super excited. And I have to say a big thank you to the entire Reconcile team that is working diligently to make sure that this is ready for July 31st. Yeah, we are so excited. So we're announcing the big um, launch day when it's going to, if you've pre-ordered, it'll show up in your inbox July 31st. You can start looking for it. We want to encourage you to pre-order now so you can get these special editions to share with your pastor, to to share with your friends. You can get the cover, the foreword by J.P. Moreland, and a very special video message um, that you can share with your pastor that will kind of explain Monique's point of view and try to bring this important unifying message to your local church as an alternative to other voices that are bringing more division. I think many people out there, they want to be a stand for unity, but we have to have a, a solidly biblical approach that will get us there. That starts with a solidly biblical foundation. Yeah. You can't just be having willy-nilly unity. We're going to unify around cake. No, what, what are we going <laughs> to unify around? We got to unify around something <laughs> solid. Don't be just willy-nilly unity. No, because that will lead you astray. People will have you doing all kinds of works, talking about, but you want to be a part. No, not that bad. No, what is our unity grounded on? It's grounded on the truth of God's word. And that is what connects us. That is what um, binds us together and makes us family. And now we can talk about how do we walk it out as family. So I am super excited about this. Super grateful for you and... And all that went into writing this. So I've never written curriculum before. She's written a couple as a theologian. And so I wrote it out like in a story format, (laughs) just paragraph after paragraph. And then Krista would literally sit and take it and recraft it to to be like questions and um, discussions discussions and all of that. Bible study. Yeah. So it it was definitely a a two-part effort. And it's it's pretty cool. I'm we really some excited. T-shirt ideas here. No willy nilly unity. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm gonna add that to my list. No willy nilly unity, y'all. We unify around cake. I wish we could unify around cake. Though, I, like cake. I like me some cake. So yes. that's actually a good segue to cake, cake unity. Um, Stop it. I, uh, that's a a good segue though to something I wanted to mention here as we wrap up. There was a lot of conversation this week at the SBC meetings. What are you doing? Dana said frosting matters. <laughs> I was going to say, I agree. I, I need to get the fan out on that one. Because yes, go ahead. Is it my turn to be it serious is. now? It is. Sorry. <laughs> Evaporated. <laughs> I can't. I cannot even. <clears throat> you know what? Chris has been sick. We need to make sure. Please pray for her. Um, she almost is, two she weeks is, now. Yeah, almost two weeks. But you're on the tail end. You're doing yeah. a lot better. So uh, what I wanted to end tonight with was a thought about unity because there was a lot, uh, you know, I think unity is an interesting concept and something that we don't talk enough about is, is what is unity? Because there's a perception of unity that happened, I think at the Southern Baptist convention meetings this week, that if you, if you offer um, a word of concern or if you're in leadership, maybe a word of correction toward people, 
well, that's not unifying. That's divisive. And I think that's a fair point because, you know, the question we have to ask is, what are we unifying around? You know, I can unify as a hobby. Like, let's say I really like puppies, you know, and I belong to a community where we have dog breeders engaging in certain birth of puppies. And and that could be unity around that particular thing. Maybe I like singing in a community choir and I have unity with those people. Maybe um, I enjoy the hobby of remote control cars, you know, and so I share that common interest with them. So there's all different kinds of things that we can unify around. But for Christians, the question is, is what are we unifying around? Mm -hmm. And who, because who's unifying and who's being divisive can differ depending on what ideas they're promoting. Some people would say that you're divisive because you aren't actually promoting unity because you're saying, well, if, if people have a certain view of racial reconciliation, that doesn't really bring people together. And so they would say, you're actually a divisive voice. And so these are somewhat relative ideas. I think we have to be very careful when we're talking to our church leadership, being gracious and, and careful in our distinctions of what we're saying. So when we talk about unity, what is your vision of unity that you want people to unite around and what divides us mm-hmm. from other people? How would you answer that question? If people ask you, you know, what is it? What is your foundation for unity? Girl, I thought you was just asking some like nebulous question. Wait, no, starting in. Hold on. Say, I, I was, girl, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't all the way there. Okay, let me, sorry, friends. This, this is how we talk every day. Monique, you're not paying attention. Okay, okay. So you talking about people need to unify around something. Well, we need to unify around the word, <laughs> the word of God, the truth. But, but I think that some people would say, well, people like Latasha Morrison and Jamar Tisby are uniting around the truth. I would say no, because look at Jamar Tisby. He's talking about live loud, leave loud. How is that in line with the scripture? See, wh- what I truly believe is that we can unify around what Christians have believed for thousands and thousands of years. I'm not trying to add nothing to it. I don't think we need to add CRT to it. I don't think I need to add a sociology book to it. What I do believe is that I can look back at the early church and say, this is what they did and we can do it too because God's word is the same. If we're going to build, if we're going to build something, we need to build on what does not change. The word of God does not change. Yesterday, today, and forever. It does not change. I can I can stand on that. But when you want to talk about, well, we're going we to be Christians, but but if we were white Christians, we're going to leave loud. Where, where where does that fit with Ephesians 4 too? We're bearing with one another. Like bearing, like, or Galatians, Galatians, I want to say it's either three or six, like bearing one another's burdens. Like, where does that align? But Somewhere so- along the line, you, you got a different kind of scripture. But see, this is the very thing, I think, is Vody's point in his book about the, this fault line. Mm-hmm. You know, some people would say, well, Vody, people like you and Vody and others, Virgil Walker and that sort of thing, you you guys are the divisive people. And I would you, say you're the heretical one. Like, I'm, I mean, let's let's be honest, because people call me a lot of names and I don't respond. 
I just, I just look, stay, stay forward, stay toward the truth, stay with Jesus. But if we going to be honest and we just going to call a spade a spade, if you are going to say, well, your color is, is the primary factor. And so you, because of your color, you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. And because of your color, you can't. If you can't back that up with scripture, I don't know what to tell you. Which kind of takes us back to Dr. Felder's earlier point that scripture is utterly unconcerned with my skin color. But yet there are Christian voices that want to make my skin color or your skin color kind of at the front of the conversation. And that then you and I become avatars for a whole group of people. We become representatives of that. But I think we have to be very careful when we're talking about unity of what it is that we are encouraging people to unify around. I'm encouraging people to unify around the truth of God's word. As it has been historically taught. Once for all, given to the saints. Yeah. Not the new progressive Christianity that that shift here and there, not things that unify and allow room for things that are scripturally defined as sin. What has the word said? What has it always said? That's what we unify around. And so I can't, I can't, oh, what's the, what's the best way to say this without coming completely out my face? Um, I can't promote Something that says you now, because of the color of your skin, are my oppressor. Or that you are inherently racist. racist. You are you must now repent for the your lineage and understand why you are bad because of the history. The, the history is what makes you something. The word doesn't say that. We, we get the opposite of that. And so what I want to do, and and I'm pro- I might be just horribly trying to describe it right now, but what I want to do is actually unify us around what matters. Truth matters. Tr- I, the, our the, identity the, in Christ. The truth of Scripture matters. I don't have an identity in Christ without the truth of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so I have to I have to stand on the truth of scripture first because the truth of scripture will allow me to understand my identity in Christ and then one understand my relationship with God. I can understand my relationship with Jesus. I can understand my my identity as a child of God, as an heir. I can understand my relationship with you as my sister. But what do I care about you if I don't have those things? I don't, I I have, and it's kind of going back to what Dr. Felder was saying, like we have no reason to be moral people. We have no reason for unity. We have no reason to fight for one another or, or a reason to, to believe that we belong to each other, supernaturally belong to each other without the truth of scripture. When Jamar Tisby puts out, well, you can leave loud. What he's saying is that we don't belong to each other. Like if there's no, there's no room, there's no abuse. Like I'm not, I'm not telling people to stay, you know, and you being abused and harmed and stuff like that. But there, there is a level where we have to look and say, you know what, how do I go again with someone? How do I become long suffering with someone? How do I forgive? How do I exercise kindness? What are, what are these principles in scripture listed for if I don't have to participate with them? Apparently someone who wrote scripture thought that you, you gonna need this. 
because it's hard. Sinful hearts are going to be hard to to connect all the time. Yeah, I don't think that people have a really. Um, if I could, if I could sit down with Christians and explain one thing to them, it would be this: you need to understand that there is no such conversation as a conversation about racial unity or racial equality without Christianity, mm-hmm. without the Judeo-Christian worldview, without the image of God. It's, it's a non-starter. You, there is nothing to base it on. And so if we're going to have any conversation about racial equality, we have to let God define the terms. And that's what we're unifying around. I, and this is why you and I say, I don't need critical race theory to tell me how to be unified. Mm-hmm. Scripture tells me that. Yeah. It tells me everything I need for life and godliness. Nor do I need it to tell me how to do justice. Yeah. Nor do I need it to tell me how to identify injustice. Nor do I need it to tell me how to uh, eradicate sin or, or, or speak out on, on sinful things. Like, I don't need it for that. What do I, I don't need it because the word tells me the word gives definition. It also tells me how to walk out the, the, the ways of doing justice to be able to combat injustice. Yeah, it's so good. All right, let's go out to Alicia's question on YouTube because we're seeing this question with increasing frequency. What do you do when someone says they agree with you biblically and don't support critical race theory, but their actions say otherwise and their words are all straight out of critical race theory? I would give grace. I think that culture depends on if like, yeah, they're a leader, a leader or, or a, a lay person, a lay person. First yeah. Of all. It, and I was, I would actually start for both groups by saying, give grace. Um, I think that the culture is so embedded with a lot of these terms and definitions, white privilege uh-huh, and, and, uh, and even the oppression the the way that culture tells you how to act out um, against injustice, it's all just in your face a lot. And so people can say, well, this must be the Christian way or this must be the right way because everyone's saying you must do it. So if it's a lay person, I would just give grace and ask a lot of questions. If it's a leader, it becomes a little bit more mm, like... I think you should know a little bit more, but I would still give grace. I would still ask questions. One of the things that I um, am beginning to wonder about, especially with black leaders, is how much um, black liberation theology is inside of a lot of churches, like just conversation on the street and things like that. And so then we have, this is my theory, we adopt many of the Black liberation tools, the Black liberation tactics and um, terminology, and then we can um, present that from the pulpit as if that is the way to go. And it's kind of like a mixing or syncretism almost of, of the two worlds. But I don't know that it's intentional. And I do believe that there are many leaders who say, well, I've never even heard of critical race theory until, you know, last year with George Floyd. Yeah, he says that. So I never knew about that. I don't necessarily know that he is lying. I'm not going to call him a liar. I honestly think that a lot of it is mixed together with a lot of things and we don't realize it. So that is... Um, I think, I think Alicia, another good thing to do is to differentiate between people who are knowingly doing something and people who have just been kind of... 
they've adopted cultural terms and mindsets and they may not know like there may it's like they might need somebody to ask them some well-placed questions of you know how would that idea play out what is your scriptural foundation for that um what would that look like in real life those are a lot of the questions i used to ask monique because i knew she she loved scripture she loved god but she she hadn't really thought through like the the road where critical race theory really leads so a lot of my questions with her were about helping her kind of play that out in her mind and so it could be that the person just has heard a bunch of terms and they've kind of imbibed and ingested those terms and so they're using them those terms and ideas but they haven't it it might be a disconnect in their mind between scripture and and those terms and so. i would just i would say be gracious ask questions now see where i think i and i'm just gonna be honest where i struggle um with grace is when i see a leader going to snatch um a, a believer or, or like a younger believer or something like that somebody who may be younger in their faith even if they are an older adult and trying to snatch them into this world of social justice Christianity, critical race theory plus Jesus Christianity, like all of that, like that's where I become unglued and I just want to like fight like a mama bear and be like, no, we're not taking people from from the family. You don't get to have them. But I'm not saying I'm right. Um, it, it does come down to grace and asking questions and asking them to define their terms and then bring bring them a first source, bring them information and say, look, this is truly what you're doing. Now, how do you explain this in, in light of scripture or um, where do you see this as lining up with the word of God? There's nothing wrong with asking a question, especially to a leader, because they should be ready to give um, a defense. They should be ready to give a report. Hopefully they've thought it through a bit, you know. Yeah. So. And if not, then you can be like, look, this this isn't right. Yeah. Uh, last comment. Uh, Katie King on YouTube says, I know CRT is bad, but I need to read up on it more to grow in discernment. I think you could scroll up a little bit, Bob. Yeah. There it is. Uh, to grow in discernment of its vocabulary and word definitions. I see a lot of words being hijacked for a different definition to push agendas. Yeah. And that's exactly why Monique and I really encourage people if you're mature in the Lord and you you have good discernment, you need to be interacting with first sources. If you're a pastor, elder, um, Christian school teacher, administrator, you're a teacher, professor in Christian higher ed, you do need to spend some time with first sources. Mm-hmm. You need to go read some Jamar Tisby and, and Latasha Morrison and that sort of a thing. You need to maybe read Delgado's book on critical race theory because reading Vody's book, is is about critical race theory is a secondary source and it's fine it can give you kind of a general christian framework or way of thinking about it but at some point you if you're going to interact with people you need to go interact on some level with first sources i would also say if you're a parent you need to be interacting with first sources because when your kid comes home at 13 years old and wants to divest themselves of whiteness or um wants to get into talking about white fragility and things like that, you need to be able to understand what's happening and explain to them biblically, like, okay, so I know I know what they're talking about. I know all 
all what D'Angelo has said or what Kendi said or Tisby or, you know, whoever that person is in the moment, because this isn't going away and there's going to be more people in the coming moments. But how do you lead your children through this? Yeah. And don't wait. If you're a parent of young children, don't wait until they start asking questions before you start researching. Start the research now. Start the learning now. Start the messaging and coming hard on the Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, Read. Yeah. yeah, And Bob and I are going to continue to give our plug for reading the Bible together as family. Stop relying so much on curriculum. Stop relying on, on looking for books. Those things are great and they have their place, but make your foundation reading the scriptures together out loud as a family, discussing them verse by verse, book by book. And there is absolutely no substitute for that. Start with that as your foundation. Then you can add other things in. You can add curriculum. You can add book studies and, and read other books, but, but start with teaching and discipling your children, how to read the Bible, how to discuss it, how to pray together. The, the last thing I would say is um, if you're a parent, um, like, uh, uh, gosh, I want to say a parent of color, but that's not like a, yeah, a parent of color. I'm just going to go with that word, um, which isn't the best word that I would I would normally go with. But, you know, also speaking to your children about the truth of, of identity and that no one is going to be better than anyone because kids will will hear it and pick it up and it's being taught you know so white kids need to do this and and um minority minority kids need to do that or this is the status of minority kids and this is the status of white kids debunk that in your children early so that when they come into the classroom and little johnny is talking about little Susie, you know your kid know how to say no that's not true you know we need to be teaching as Again, as a family, we need to be teaching our kids the truth from an early age so they understand the truth. And this this does not, you know, this this is regardless of color. I think it's impacting different um, different ethnicities differently, but we need to be raising our kids in truth. That's right. So along those lines, we want to encourage everyone to, to if you're a parent, um, if you have a leadership in a church, Consider getting connected with the Discipleship Build Begins at Home Conference. All of these themes that we've been talking about in this segment um, really build on what we're going to be talking about at that conference. We're going to be speaking at it. We're going to be co-hosting it because we really are passionate about equipping and training parents to bring children up with a solid Christian worldview. That is the best hope for the future mm-hmm. of how to deal with the craziness that we're in. So discipleship begins at home conference, go to women and And again, even if you don't have kids, like talk to your pastor about it, talk to, talk to um, your women's minister about maybe getting a group together, buy a church license. If you are an elder teaching elder pastor, um, maybe if you are working in a Christian school context, let your parents know about this very important resource because what's super cool about it is it's you're going to be given a blueprint for how to disciple your kids. And there's also going to be an opportunity to register for six weeks of aftercare. So as you are implementing the blueprint, 
we, um, Jeremy Bannister and I are going to come alongside you and help provide coaching and helping you to um, problem solve for uh, as you are walking out and implementing the blueprint in your home. So it's going to be an intensely um, practical conference. You're not going to want to miss out. So it's coming up soon in July. So go register at womeninapologetics.com. All right, before we sign off, Joy, Joy, Kramer Barr um, on Facebook asked, my kiddos are elementary age. What books are out there for them at their level? We try to do our best to teach them to love everyone, but I'm always looking for more resources. I would first say check out Elizabeth Urbanovitz um, Foundation Worldview curriculum. You can Google Foundation Worldview and it'll be like the first thing to come up. Um, I don't have her link. Maybe someone can put the Foundation Worldview curriculum link on Facebook, but you can also Google it. And the founder's name is Elizabeth Urbanovitz. She has awesome worldview material for We had young her on people. the show a few weeks yes, ago. Yes, she was just on the show. Awesome, awesome material. I just ordered two books and I'm still going through them to vet. to really to vet them and make sure that, that they're one hundred, but they look good so far. Yeah, they and, look solid. Um, one is called Defined who God says you are younger kids activity book and study guide on identity. And I got it right off of Amazon. Kind of like I would say like older elementary school students, like maybe fifth, sixth, seventh grade could go through that book. Yes. It's super helpful. Yeah. Very colorful. I thought it was a a pretty good, um, good book. I, it's called define. I think I'm going to be able to copy the link. Define who who God says you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the next one is, let me see if I got to go to my Amazon list. Wonderful. The truth about who I am. And it's the same authors. It's for younger kids. Yes. I would say like lower elementary, but you could kind of do it as a read together type of a thing. It's, it's, it, I've only skim read it. I haven't read it like every single word, but it looks really colorful and interesting and helpful. So, yeah. So that is a lot of identity stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, like I said, I, I'm still going through them to, you know, make sure everything is good and I can offer a full <laughs> plug, but it does look good from, from what yeah. I've seen. So that is And read it. the Bible. Yes. Read the Bible, read the Bible. Yes. All right. I think we're done. Mention the launch party. Okay. Launch party. One more time. Coming July 29th. And the curriculum will drop on July 31st. So July 29th will be a special edition of the family meeting. We're going to have... A cavalcade of surprise guests. Yes. Um, and yes, Andre mentions Natasha Crane's books. Yes, 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 yes. To Those Natasha are books, books like to equip parents. Mm-hmm. They're not to give to, to kids. Yes. But it would be equipping parents to have those strategic conversations. You yes. got to come at this from a lot of different All the ways. Angles. All the ways. Yes, yep. yes, so. yes. All, All right. right, my friends. Thank you so much for watching. We hope you found the conversations helpful. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. That's right. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. 
be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.